0: Thank you for joining the Home Church podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I know there's a lot of things that people are sensing in their heart during that time. So I just want to pray. If you would just join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're stirring in hearts. We're just asking nothing, nothing would hinder your work. Nothing hinder your work here, Lord. May every heart be open to what you're saying, what you're doing. Let the fullness, the fullness of what you want to do today, this is the day that you've created, Lord. May all that you have purposed in this day for every person here be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. Thank you, worship team. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, For those of you who don't know, Mark... Mark and Rose. How many know Mark and Rose? Getting married today, which is awesome. So, the, <laughs> Oh, we got a lot of Marks. Not Mark, even though. Mark Singh. Um, so we're, uh, we're excited. Mark and, uh, and Rose are a huge part of this family. And they have a lot of family members. So a lot of them are right now getting ready for that. But, um, but good to be with you guys this morning. I couldn't help when we were just singing that last part about um, The return of the Lord. I was thinking of Revelation 19 where it says the heavens are opened. You know, the same one who, when he was baptized, the heavens were split open. It says the heavens will be opened. And it says, and behold, a man on a white horse will be coming in. And I just love it. The horse is purity. The white horse, white is purity, but it's bigger than that. The one who came in on a donkey will come back on a horse because a white horse was the horse for war, for battle. And it's a conquering king that is returning. What a day that that will be. (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, um, let's just get it out of the way. I am that guy that put on a plaid because it's the first sign of fall. all right? So I'm all in. I had I had a bunch of people just absolutely rip on me yesterday when we went apple picking because it was 80 degrees and I had my sweater and I was ready to go. So I am that guy. I'm excited for the fall. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So, I, I'm most, most of the faiths I, I see here have been with us at some, some measure over the last few weeks. And we, again, I know I, we, this is kind of the way we've started, but it's, it's been, um, been a pretty intense few weeks. We've been really honing in on, on repentance, and we really feel this is what God is highlighting. And I, I just want to be so clear in this, that when I come away with the Lord, and I, and I just really connect with Him over this, the season that we're in, I do not believe it's, it's from a place of, of God's disdain for us. It's not that he's disinterested it's not that he's threatening to disengage and so it's like god what do we need to do um i don't think it's god's disapproval by any means actually i feel what the lord's highlighting is deeply connected to his devotion to us it's a sign of his dedication it's a sign of his commitment towards us and the things that we long to see so although some of the stuff that we talk about gets pretty heavy I just, I just feel like the, the, the God, God is fathering us. He's fathering us through this, and he's so good that when there's things in our life um, that we just want to kind of move past, he's such a, like, when I deal with someone, man, I'll get to a place where I'll say, well, that's good enough, all right? That's good enough. God never does that because he cares about every little piece of us, and I'm so thankful that he's just putting his finger on things and, and not, not just allowing us to move forward in, in ministry, but, but he really cares for us. So just to give vision, we've been talking about repentance. I don't know exactly how this will play out over the next few weeks, but I know with respects to repentance, I feel the Lord highlighting things like the fear of the Lord. I feel these things are going to come out. I feel God is really touching on purity. I feel God is really touching on consecration, um, holiness of God, now each of these topics we go, we can go into very unique lanes, right? They are distinct, but I do believe there's this sweet spot where they all really overlap, and I'm not sure, I know like in general I have an idea, but I believe God's gonna take us on a journey. We're gonna see all of these things are so connected to the season that, that we're in, and, and again, to the things that we've been asking God to do. So uh, with that being said, um, one of the topics that I feel God really wants to highlight, and we're gonna do it today, is called the discipline of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord. And I think this is, again, really connected to what we've been uh, talking about and where we'll go. So I'm not saying that each topic, fear of the Lord, consecration, we may not work through each one like systematically. We may hit one and then next week go back to another topic, however the Lord leads. But I know they're all connected, all right? So today I want to speak on the discipline of the Lord uh, and the beauty of it as we've been talking about with repentance. I want to recapture it and I want to put this out before you. One of the main texts, probably the main text we're going to get into, it is. It is the main text. I went through the message already. It is the main text. is <laughs> Hebrews 12, and we're, going to, we're not going there just yet. I'm just putting this out before you. Hebrews 12 is where we're going to go, and the reason why I'm saying this is because what I'm about to share will really flesh it out when we get to Hebrews 12, but I felt like I couldn't wait to bring it up because I know, I know, I know that when we start bringing up a topic like the discipline of the Lord, there is some that will immediately begin to cringe inside. And the reason why is because of upbringings that they've had or things that they have witnessed. They've had actually atrocious parental discipline in their lives. They've seen abuse and they've seen just impure motives with it. And as a result, we can actually put up walls and really resist the discipline of the Lord because of this. But what I want to just put before you as we go on this journey is that in Hebrews, what we're going to see is that it says that the one whom the Lord disciplines, he loves. And it says actually that God's discipline authenticates your sonship. Meaning his discipline over your life verifies and bears witness that you are truly a son and daughter of the Most High. Which means, which means guys, we have to, have to, have to be willing to work through our misconceptions and even our hurts that we have experienced because on the other side of rightly submitting to the discipline of the Lord is a greater knowledge of his love for you and a greater assurance that you belong to him. And I don't want anyone to miss out on that. So even though there's some really intense things we're going to see, what it's unto is, is God's, God's discipline is always restorative. It's always redemptive. When you are his child, it's always purposeful. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's always pleasant, Hebrews says, but it's always doing something in you. And the more that we can understand that part, the more we'll open our heart and journey with God when he, when he puts his finger on things, all right? So what I want to do actually is, before we get into Hebrews 12, I want to um, briefly share a story that's an extension from last week. So, if you would turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. It's a nice little breeze here. Amen. <laughs> 2 Samuel 16. All right, we're going to unpack the discipline of the Lord here. Any amens for that? <laughs> I believe we will at the end. Thank God for his discipline. We, were, we, were, we uh, really began to see this last week with David, like God's discipline over David because he was so committed to David. So here's, here's what I want to just, I want to share something from chapter 16 of Second Samuel. But for those of you who weren't, or just a reminder for those who were, last week we, we began to unpack the episode of David and Bathsheba uh, along with Uriah. And it was, again, there's a lot that's going on there. There's many lessons that burst forth from that story, and we began to highlight them you see warnings and encouragement through that, and we really begin to list those things out. But what I want to look at here is in chapter 16. Chapter 16 is is still in the aftermath of the David and Bathsheba episode. Remember we said that David's life spans in the scriptures about 40 chapters. That's an unbelievable amount of text given to one man. David is a very significant figure. And of those 40 chapters, we got a little sign leading. Would someone mind, just grab, oh, there we go, we got Rob, Rob coming in. Perfect timing, Rob. (laughs) I don't know, it may not hold, so if you want to just put it flush against it, yeah. So, so 40 chapters are dedicated to the life of David, but 10 of those chapters, almost a quarter, is connected to the story of him with Bathsheba and Uriah. That's, Holy Spirit really wants us to understand how important this story is, right? We, We went into that. So what we're in, chapter 16, we're still in the the 10 chapters that are all connected to this. This is still the aftermath of what's taking place. And Nathan's words are actually just starting to come to pass. Now, this is almost 15 years down the road. Nathan's words are just starting to come to pass, okay? So here's what happens is that Absalom, if you remember, Nathan said, one of your own will come out of your house and will be your adversary. That would be Absalom. Absalom is currently trying to rip the kingdom away from his father, David. And so David is on the run. He's fleeing Jerusalem. And as he's fleeing, he encounters two men, Ziba and Shimei. Both of these men come from the house of Saul. Ziba gives kindness to David, but Shimei actually will curse David. And that's what I want us to look at. So just stay with me. I promise it's going to connect to discipline of the Lord. So 2 Samuel 16, verse 5. Everyone there? All right, David's on the, on the run. He's fleeing Jerusalem. Absalom is trying to take his kingdom. And it says in verse 5, when King David came to Behoram, well, that sounded pretty Hebrew right there. I didn't mean for that to come out. <laughs> there, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, ready, listen, he cursed continually. Verse 6, very interesting. It says, And he threw stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. David's traveling with an entourage of men. He has the tribe of Gad with him. He's probably upwards of 600 men. Most of them are warriors. This man, Shimei, comes and is openly humiliating David. Look at verse, um, verse 7. It says, And Shimei said, As he cursed Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Verse 8, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul and whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Okay, just stop there. First of all, like, this is a really interesting scene. (laughs) David's with his men, and here comes Shimei. He comes out, and he addresses him, and it says he begins to curse him openly humiliating the king of Israel. And he's actually, it says, throwing stones, which is a sign that he wants death to come upon David. It's a sign he wants him to be stoned, right? What, what's, what's, what's fascinating is just the language and the approach that he comes with, calling him worthless man, get out, get out. The things that he's saying, though, are actually not true. Okay, I want to be very, this is actually really important. He's misinterpreting what's happening in David's life. Because David's on the run, he's saying, see, God is judging you and taking your kingdom, and he's going to give it to your son Absalom. He's misinterpreting it, and he doesn't realize that's not the case here. David was actually extremely kind to the house of Saul. So, so he, here's, here's why I'm saying this, is that everything about what Shimei is doing is so off and wrong, right? Look at verse 9. This is one of David's men. It says, then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so for those of you who think the Bible is boring, you just haven't read it. All right. We need some, we need some Abishais. When uh, those, what do they call it, keyboard warriors come out and start saying things, and Abishai says, you want me to take his head off? <laughs> so Abishai, Abishai says, Who is this dead dog from the house of Saul that would speak to you this way? Just just keep this in mind. He says, do you want me to take his head off? Now think about about all these things. Shimei comes to David and he's cursing him. He's threatening him. He comes in the completely wrong manner. He's not approaching him right at all. There's no reverence. There's no respect for him. What he says is actually false. He spews false accusations. He's an inferior to David. David. Meaning David is the king, even if you have something right to say to the king, you can't just come up and approach him, let alone what he's saying. And he's from the house of Saul. So by by the law of the land, David would have a right just to take and completely annihilate the house of Saul so that there was no threat of them ever trying to replace David's family from sitting on the throne. Everything about what's happening with this man is wrong. And yet I want you to see how David responds to this situation. Verse 10, look what David says to the king. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing, listen, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? In other words, when this man comes at David in all of the wrong ways, David actually stops. Abishai says, let me take his head off. And David says, no, stop. He says, what if this is God? God. What if the Lord is rebuking me here? What if the Lord is bringing correction into my life? What if the Lord is disciplining me through this? I do not want to miss it. Think about the heart of David. What a powerful lesson for us to learn that when David had every right to dismiss what this man was saying in his life, Every right to deny it, every, every right to reject it, every right to get offensive, every right to have this man's head taken off, or at the very least say, Abishai, silence this man. David said, no, Abishai, you, be quiet. I want to hear. This may be the Lord trying to redirect my life. This may be the Lord trying to bring correction into my life. And I felt the Lord speaking into my heart that, that he wants us, and today talk about it, cultivating a David-like heart to the discipline of the Lord that we're always so sensitive to when the Lord is putting his finger on something saying, Andrew, right here, that we would yield ourselves and say, Lord, I don't want to miss it. Maybe there's something bigger here. I I firmly, like, I so believe one of the things God's speaking in my life to to step into more and he wants as a culture is to raise the standard of a culture of accountability in this house. It's really, really important. I feel God's, it's so connected to what we're doing. And I, I want you to hear me out on this thought. When we talk about establishing a culture of accountability, to have something that's sustained, something that's healthy, I believe that we should then, we need to be developing deep relationships with one another, right? So that we don't just like start, because it can get really weird. We can not just spewing things at one another and, and, and we don't even know what's going on really in the person's life. I get that. Um, Galatians says we should restore our brothers and sisters gently. All right, so I get that if we're going to sustain something long-term, right, we should be gentle, we should have relationship, we need brave communication. But here's my point is that did Shimei do any of those things? No. And did David still humble his heart to receive what he was saying? Yes. And what I find today, if we're not careful, is that we're establishing so many rules of what someone has to fulfill in order to earn a right to speak into our life when the Bible doesn't always do that. And so we say things like, you don't know me well enough, you can't speak that into my life. I don't like your tone, you can't speak that into my life. Now, should we come with the right tone? Of course. Should we develop the right relationship? Of course. But guys, there are just some times where we just need to humble our hearts like David and say, Lord, if this is you, I don't want to miss it. Does that make sense? No matter what happens, again, long term, we want to build what would be a healthy culture. But I find in my own heart, I am so quick to build a list that allows me to justify why I'm not going to give you a place to speak in my life. David didn't do that. David said, wow, this man came cursing me, threatening me, throwing stones. And David still said, let me hear what he has to say. Maybe this is God speaking into my life. That is a lesson of leadership right there. That that is a leader right there. Because God opposes the proud. His face turns against the proud. But he draws near to the humble. Oh, that we would have a humble heart. of, We would be so humble to say, God, I, there may be something bigger. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Do you remember last week we said that Nathan confronted David, right? Do you know that I find this fascinating that, that David had three prophets that operated in his life. Um, Nathan was on the bottom of that totem pole. Nathan was the youngest and the most inexperienced. Samuel would have, would have been like the prophet for David. He's the one who anointed him. You would think that when David was going through the tragedy he was going through, I mean, his life was rapidly declining before the Lord. You would think that God would send Samuel, the one who anointed him to speak the word, but he sends the youngest, most inexperienced prophet. David could have easily said, Nathan, you don't even know me. You're younger than me. I've been leading longer than you've been prophesying. I don't need to receive this. But actually David humbles his heart to receive from Nathan. And I want you to hear something that's so profound. After, after uh, Nathan speaks the judgment of what would happen, they lost their first son. David and Bathsheba went on to have four more kids. And do you know what they named one of those kids? Nathan. <laughs> David so honored the man who was willing to speak truth into his life that he said, one of my children will be named after you. Can you imagine that? He says, Nathan, I may have not have fully loved what you spoke into my life in the moment, but I thank you because it saved my life. I thank you because it it, it, it saved me from suffering loss. I thank you, man. I feel like the Lord's really hitting this, like us really being um, honoring Nathan's in our life. <laughs> I just really feel that. I feel, and the Lord wants us to be really step into accountability, which means we're gonna bravely communicate with one another in love and gentleness, but we need to actually honor. So the idea is, listen, I'm sure David actually knew what, what um, Shimei was saying was false. He knew how he treated the house of Saul, but he was saying, maybe I missed something. Maybe I missed something, and he humbled his heart. And we wanna develop this type of heart to receive God's discipline in our life. Yeah. Do you know Paul, Paul in Galatians 4.16 Paul says something fascinating. He says, have I now become your enemy because I speak the truth to you? Now, the church at Galatia was actually not just a singular letter. It's a circular letter. It passed through the province of Galatia. This went to many different churches. And I just began to reflect on our study in the book of Acts, and I remember how Paul would tirelessly and put his life on the line to go back to the providence of Asia just to strengthen and encourage the churches. He experienced beatings, floggings, whippings, imprisonment, his name was dragged through the mud, all so that he could go and strengthen and encourage these men and women in this church. Meaning, if there was one man that the church of Galatia should say, this man loves us, it was Paul. And yet the moment Paul began to speak truth into this church, they begin to question if Paul really loved them anymore. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Paul laying down his life, and he writes this letter to the church and says, guys, this right here, this thing needs to go. And after him laying down his life and the testimonies of what he's been through, they actually will say, Paul, we do not believe you love us anymore. Paul says, why? Because I speak the truth? Paul, all you do is care about your letters and what you're writing and your little ministry. You don't care about us. And Paul says, have I now become your enemy? I laid my life down for you. Have I now become your enemy because I'm willing to speak truth? Paul says, actually, it's in love that I'm going to do this to you. For love does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but love rejoices in truth. In truth. And so it's just so critical to be a healthy body that we open up to the discipline of the Lord. And sometimes Holy Spirit speaks right to us in our spirit through the word. I get that. But there are sometimes, like with David, when we're not responding, God raises up individuals to speak into our life. And, and we want to have a humble heart to submit. So you don't need turn here. I wanted to just share two other scriptures real quick and then we'll go into Hebrews. But part of the reason why we really need to cultivate this responsive heart to the Lord's discipline is because so often the discipline of the Lord is connected to repentance. And we're, we've been hitting like the life-giving end result of repentance. And if we don't say yes to his discipline, we'll never actually fully engage in the repentance that he wants. Just, just hear this. Jeremiah thirty-one eighteen. 18. This is what the Lord says. I have surely heard Ephraim's moaning. That's symbolic for the northern kingdom. I've surely heard their moaning, their grieving, their cries, what he's saying. Well, what was Ephraim crying? You disciplined me like an unruly calf, an untrained calf. Ephraim's saying, the Lord has disciplined me. Like I was an untrained calf, you brought discipline in my life. It says, and I have been disciplined. Then listen to this. They say, restore me, and I will return because you are the Lord my God. The discipline of the Lord led them into repentance, and repentance leads to what? Intimacy with God. If the discipline of the Lord and repentance that has ever been presented in your life is not unto that one transcendent truth, you and God being reconnected in a deep way, you have missed then the true biblical purpose of repentance and his discipline. If you stop anywhere before that, you are left in this weird, neutral, religious state where you know you can't do this, but you haven't yet to meet the more satisfying thing. You've yet to meet the one that will set you free. So every time God disciplines, it's unto this purpose that we would turn and go deeper and reconnect with him. Listen to Hosea 6.1. Same language. This is the people of God speaking to the Lord. They say, come, let us return to the Lord. That's that return to me. That's the repentive language all throughout scripture. Come, let us return to the Lord. Ready? For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he may bind us up. That's profound he says the Lord come let us return let us bring our hearts back why because he tore us that he might heal us he struck us down that he may bind us up Whew! that's really really heavy stuff if you have any question what that looks like look at the hand of the Lord upon David it would be easy to question God's love for you in that moment but I, I want you to know that in love God's God's discipline will confront all that hinders love Anything that is taking our affections in love, God will discipline to remove that thing for the sake of loving you and experiencing you in a deeper, deeper way. As God's child, listen, as God's child, I want you to know his discipline, what this is telling us, his discipline is never unto destruction. When you're his child, his discipline is never unto destruction. It is always unto redemption and restoration. Every single time. He loves us. In love, he disciplines us. So important, you know why? Because if we're not careful, Matthew 24, 10 says, as we draw near to the return of the Lord, it says, many will be offended. Many will be offended because there's so much that will take place in the earth. And I just, uh, man, I I feel many in the church will get offended at the leadership of the Lord because they say in Song of Solomon, his banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. Therefore, why is this happening? I would say it's because of love that this is happening. His banner over us is love, not comfort. He gives us the comforter, but that doesn't always mean we'll be in comfortability. In love, in love, in love, in love, he will discomfort, he will disrupt, he will awaken, he will stir. In love, he demass. In love, he kicks out false props that we've been leaning on. So when it says his banner over me is love, he leads me with love, it's true, but it's pure love. It's perfect love. No love ever lets someone get comfortable in compromise. He's after righteousness in our lives. And in love, he'll keep coming again and again and again. Until he says, I'm making you like my son. I'm making you like my son. So come with me to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. Are you guys following me? Everyone's good? Hebrews chapter 12. I really share all of that just because I want want our hearts to be open. Again, I know I've said this, but I want our hearts to be open to the Lord's discipline. It's so important. So important to be growing as his children. And so Hebrews 12, honestly, Hebrews 12 is probably known as the hallmark text when it comes to the Lord's discipline. I'm sure many of you have have read it. Um, And my hope is that we're going to understand in a better degree his motivation, his purpose, and the different ways that he can discipline us for the purpose of us opening our hearts, that we would not close our hearts, we would not get resentful or bitter, offended, but we would say, Lord, have your way, all right? So there's something that happens in the beginning of this passage in verse 3 that I, I need to, like, get a little teachy for a second because at this point I've only shared one type of the Lord's discipline, which is his corrective discipline. But there is another type that the writer of Hebrews mentions here, that is actually a major part of this text, which is his instructive discipline. And I'm gonna share the difference here. Look look at what he says in verse three. It says, consider, this is the writer of Hebrews says, consider him, who's him? Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Okay, we'll come back, that's very important. In your struggle against sin, you have yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then he says, the more well-known section of this, verse 5, it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises the son whom he receives or delights in. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews everyone paying attention to this. Because not everyone, listen, the Lord does not always discipline because we've done something wrong. Okay, there's another type of discipline that God brings us through, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, because he's he's trying to encourage them by getting to reflect on the life of Jesus. Clearly, what's been happening through this passage and the rest of Hebrews, we know, is that they are facing intense persecution, intense temptation, trial, hardship to the point that they are in in danger of misinterpreting their present circumstances as a sign that God no longer loves them, he's no longer with them, he no longer cares about them, that they're not really his children, they don't belong. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, stop, wait one minute. And he's making a a, a connection between what happened in the life of Lord to, to the father disciplining Jesus is what he's saying. Now did Jesus ever sin? Which means Jesus was never disciplined out of correction. The Lord will discipline us of a correction, but there's sometimes the Lord disciplines us in a different way. So he says, do not grow weary in what you're facing and experiencing. Consider Jesus who endured such hostility at the hands of sinners. So here's 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 how I would illustrate this from the role of parents. I find that this text, when I think about parenting, it really helps me. Sometimes it can really hurt us. Um, but a parent, there's really um, two different ways that, that a parent can... Uh, can discipline. They can bring correction, or they can bring instruction. For example, my son can do something wrong, and I can correct him, and that's a form of discipline, right? I can take something away, uh, take a privilege away. And honestly, up until this point, we've been really highlighting the corrective discipline of the Lord. But there's another type of discipline that a, that a parent can bring. It's not in response to the child doing something wrong. It's just, actually, it's it's evidence of how committed the father or mother is to seeing the child grow in maturity. Meaning, I can give my children chores. Here's an example. And, and they might not like the chores, the chores aren't pleasant, but I know what that's doing in their hearts. I know the, the values it's instilling. That discipline is not because they've done wrong, it's simply because I love them and I want to see them mature and reach the fullest potential. So there is times when the hand of God comes upon our life because there's corrective discipline. But what the writer of Hebrews just said is that these guys were being disciplined because the hand of the Lord is upon them in an instructive way. He's saying, consider Jesus. One of the most profound scriptures is Ephesians, uh, um, Hebrews 5.8. Hear hear this. It says about Jesus, although he was a son, meaning the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's what this guy's saying. As a man, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. So important to hear. The classroom that Jesus, as a man, learned how to continually posture his heart and say, yes, Father, not my will but yours, yes, Father, it was through the place of suffering, meaning it was through embracing temptation, it was through trial, it was through hostility, it was through persecution. This is, this is the classroom that the Father used to bring Jesus into a place of learning obedience to the point it says that he was perfected as a man so that he would become the perfect sacrifice for our salvation. So the writer right here is saying, guys, there are times where you may be saying, what in the world is going on in my life? And the temptation may be, God doesn't love me, God's not with me, clearly I've done something wrong. Now we're talking about how God can correct us in his discipline, but I wanna encourage some that are in this place, that some of it has nothing to do with you doing anything wrong. It's because he's so serious about forming the image of Jesus in your life. And the more we get that, the more we can, I don't know how else to put it, we can suffer well. Really, that's what he's saying. The right of Hebrews is saying, I want to teach you how to suffer well for the sake of the kingdom. When you get on those moments when you drop to your knees at your bedside and there's tears flowing and saying, why is this happening? The father will come and whisper and say, I'm making you like my son. I'm making you like my son. And just as the son, the son, was taught in the place of suffering, I'm doing it in your life as well. John Piper has one of the most fascinating, I, I thought, like provoking quotes. And he said this about this. He says, God's discipline may be on us, not simply to discipline. Meaning it may not be simply because you've done anything wrong. um, But he says, but it is to stretch and broaden us in righteousness. There are times where God is, again, does not discipline you because of wrong. But it's because God is so committed to seeing righteousness come forth in your life. This is the pruning principle. Do you know that God prunes us? Sometimes it's to get things out of our life. But many times God prunes us to take what you're being faithful in and to make it even more fruitful. So there's things that we can walk through that God says, I'm going to discipline you through this. Like, like, it's like I'm giving you chores. And you may say, why? But he says, because I'm doing something in your heart that you don't understand right now. So I want to just put before you, if the hand of God is upon you in, in a corrective sense, rejoice. Because it's a sign that he loves you and he's committed to you. And if the hand of God is upon you in an instructive sense, Rejoice, because it's a sign that he loves you and he is committed to you. In all things rejoice, because you are his son and daughter, and he loves you and he's committed to your growth. He will never, he will never, never shed a, waste a shed tear of his beloved. Never. So let's, let's keep reading this. So again, there's two different types of discipline we can experience. Verse 5 now, let's read it again. says, and have you forgotten the exhortation, meaning they were probably forgetting this, that addresses you as sons? So he's about to quote Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. He says, my son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not treat it carelessly. He says, nor be weary when reproved by him. Do not be crushed by it either. Verse 6, why? Why? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Why can we not be crushed by discipline? Why can we even rejoice? Because his discipline over our lives, it's not a sign that he's not with us. It's actually, it's not contradictory to his love. It's actually an expression of his love. It's actually expression. Just listen, listen to some of these verses. Again, you don't need to turn here. Jeremiah twelve seven. This is... This is when Israel was at its most tragic moment. God was handing Israel over to the Babylonian Empire, okay? There was no more tragic, devastating event in all of the Old Testament for Israel than this. Babylon ransacked Jerusalem and the temple. Yet look what God says in Jeremiah 12:7. The Lord says this, I, meaning God, have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of our enemies. Wow. God says, I've, I've, I've given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. The Lord says, I have given her up that I may wake her up. But she will forever be my beloved. You say, why in the world would God ever do something? If he loves me, why would he ever do this? And again, I've, just through studying through the scriptures, what I've found is that there are really two methods, if you will, of God's discipline in our life. One of them is here. Let me, let me say this. I'll use a parent example. If you ask your child to clean their room, and they don't do it, imagine that. (laughs) They don't clean their room. A parent can do one of two things. A parent parent can remove a privilege, can give time out, right? Can say this will happen until you clean it. So there are things where God in love will say, I'm not going to move forward because what I'm after more than anything is you and your wholeness. And I'm not just going to keep progressing until this thing gets addressed. That is a way in which the Lord can discipline us. But the parent can also do another thing. The parent can say, I'm not going to take anything away. I'm just going to let you live in that room until one day you wake up and say, what am I doing? (laughs) And what the parent is doing is is they're actually, we're handing our child over to reap, to reap really what we've been sowing in hopes that it would wake us up and say, why am I doing this? And there are times when God, the prodigal son, in love, the father let the younger son run away. And he let him, uh, let him spend all of his riches in love. He let him do that. Why? Because he, he wanted to, I'm going to teach you a lesson. No, he says, in love, I'm going to show you that what you're chasing after is so dissatisfying compared to me. And you're going to come to your senses and return back to me. His discipline is always unto this. I've experienced this where I've been sowing into things and God has actually given me over to it so that I say, why do I want this? <laughs> God, spending time with you instead of spending time on the screen is better, is better, right? So in this case, God's handing the Israelites over to Babylon. Why? Because he's showing them that the way that you're living will eventually lead to this. You're living like the nations, so I will show you what it's like to live in the the nations so that you say, never again, God, we want to live for you. Isaiah 63, 9. This is another one. Just, Just don't, you don't need to come here. It says, In all their affliction, meaning in all of Israel's affliction, he, God, was afflicted. In all of Israel, when God was disciplining Israel, it says when they felt affliction in their hearts because of God's discipline, it says God was afflicted in his heart because of that. And it says, and he loves them and he redeems them. That means when the Lord is disciplining us, he says, my heart hurts because your heart's hurting. But I love you so much that I will not back away, nor will I back down to what I'm doing here. How many of you have ever heard growing up, or now have said this, how many of you have ever disciplined your child and said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Okay, my father's not here right now, but I would tell him if he was here too, my father has bear claws, okay? When he would say that and a spanking was coming, I'm saying, yeah, right, you're kidding me. This will not hurt you like it hurts me, right? But now on the other side of parenting, I can truly say that there is an affliction I feel in my heart when I discipline my child. And I know that they don't fully understand it because they don't have a big enough perspective. God has an eternal perspective. See, we would have laughed at the cross for a moment until now we've seen what he's done through it. We would have said, how could you ever do that? In love, how could you do it? But now we understand what God was accomplishing through that. And I just want to say that there, there are times where the Lord is doing things and I want you to know that he feels pain because he feels what you feel he really really does you know what I want to ask you to read this hold your spot here come with me to Revelation 3 if you would please Revelation 3 and hold your spot in Hebrews 12 we'll come right back And I just want to read these few verses. I want you to see it. I'm reading more than a single verse. That's why I just want you to see it for yourself. But Revelation 2, 3, um, there's seven letters written to seven churches of Asia Minor. A lot of you probably are, if you're aware of anything in the book of Revelation, this is probably one of the more popular areas. But we're in the seventh letter to the seven church, the church of Laodicea. They were, they were blind to their true state. They thought they were rich, but Jesus says, actually, you're blind and poor. And you need to, he counsels them to come and receive from me what you're lacking, But then look what he says in verse 19. Everyone there? Revelation 3, verse 19. He says, this is Jesus. He's just spoken strong words. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Wow. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, meaning I'm faithful, I want you, I'm committed to you, but there are things in your life that cannot remain. It's in love that I'm here right now. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. With the same zeal that I'm coming towards you, I'm asking you to respond with that zeal and come under my leadership. Then verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. So what is the discipline unto repentance? What is it unto? Communion with God. Always, always, always unto communion with God. Then look at the last verse, though. To the one who conquers, I will grant him uh, to sit with me on my throne as also I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So the one that the Lord disciplines, the one that the Lord comes against strongly, is the same ones that he wants to sit and co-reign with him. Yeah. See, we need to have our minds renewed to the goodness of God's discipline. If we knew this, we would open our heart to say, God, what you have for me is so much better than where I've settled. All right, let's come back to Hebrews. We'll finish out these last few verses. I promise in all this I'm filled with hope and joy and love. I'm I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the Lord's word to to show us these things. So ready? Verse 7. Verse 7 of Hebrews 12. It says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? So let me ask you this question. How do you know that you belong to God? How do you know that you're really saved? Well, there are a number of scriptures that you can go to that provide different types of evidences. For example, the scriptures just plainly say that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just standing on that, you have confidence. But there are also things that say the indwelling spirit will begin to produce the fruit of the spirit in your life. That's another sign that you'll begin to see changes in the life of Christ. Or Romans says of the internal witness, which is the spirit of God will bear witness to your spirit that you are the children of God. The point is there's a number of things you could look to that actually testify that you belong to God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that one of those things that needs to be included is when you're disciplined. When you're disciplined, it's actually authenticating and proving and bearing witness that you really belong to him. If you did not have discipline in your life, you should be concerned. It would say, if you did not feel the hand of the Lord come upon you at times, you should be concerned. Whether it's corrective or instructive, because it would be a sign that you were illegitimate. So he says, rejoice. When I, when I was going through this, I was immediately reminded of my time in, at Teen Challenge, uh, which I worked prior to this. For those of you who don't know, it's a year-long uh, ministry with people coming out of addiction. And one of my greatest joys was to be able to sit and connect and hear the stories of men and really go through life with them. I mean, we lived together, eat together. It was a lot, <laughs> but it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, you've been through it. But there was something beautiful, real community. And I love to hear their stories. And not everyone, like I'm an example of, the opposite. But many times, the men that came in, when you heard their story, they grew up in a broken home. And there was one story in particular of a man sharing how he grew up. And I mean, it was hard to listen to. Talk about, it's beyond just an absentee parents. I mean, it was abusive on every single level. And I remember reflecting on my childhood and saying, wow, I grew up so different. And I still <laughs> had all these issues and I couldn't even imagine. And I remember sharing them, like my, uh, my experience with my parents of how how my mom would check my homework and and my dad would, um, you know, be waiting up for me if I didn't come home. And I remember them saying, Andrew, I wished, I wished that if I didn't do my homework, I had a parent who would say something to me. I wished that if I did not come home when I was supposed to, that there would be a father in his car driving after me. And what I realized, what they were longing for is that through that discipline, they were actually identifying that that they would have been cared for. that that someone actually loved them so much that they were willing to be that role in their life. And I realized growing up that the thing I often rejected the most was one of my greatest sources of security. I felt so secure growing up. You know why? Because I had a mom and dad that loved me enough to discipline. And the Lord loves us so much that he will discipline us. He will discipline us and he will say, I love you so much. And the writer is saying, take heart in that, that there's a security that we find from that place. So verse 10, verse 10, it says, regarding earthly fathers, it says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Listen, that we may share his holiness. (laughs) God's discipline is perfect and it's pure. It is not always understandable, but he never misses the mark. And I was reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks about the different dynamics of relationships, husband, wife in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, he speaks about father and son. And he says this, Ephesians 6, 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate your children. Do not be so overbearing that you actually cause their hearts to get hard towards you. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you know why God can write this? Is because He is the perfect example of that. God never provokes us. He never exasperates us as as a father discipline. His discipline is never irrational. It, it's it's um, it's it's never out of control. <laughs> it's it's. Uh, let me say it in this way. My discipline, if I'm really honest, my discipline. I'm sure many can probably identify. My discipline with my kids is often out of frustration. And so what happens is we relate this to God. I often discipline out of frustration, selfishness. Sometimes I discipline out of convenience. The standard I set at home is different than what I set in public because I want my image to look better. So what I allow my kids to do at home, I say, no, you can't do this now. They're all messed up saying, well, I could do this at home. Why can't I do this in front of people? And here's the good news. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it's true, and this is our experience with discipline. And the reality is, is that if I'm really honest, my timing, my approach, my methods, my motives are often horrendous. They really are. I'm growing, but they're really, oftentimes I'm like, that is just bad. But I want you to know that God never disciplines like that. Never disciplines like that. It is perfect, it is pure, and it is for your good. And his discipline, the end result, look what it says in verse 10, is that we would share in his holiness. Again, you'd say, God, what are you doing? And he would say, I'm making you like my son. And then finally, the last verse I want to read, verse 11. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. For the moment, it seems. It means that there's something creeping under the experience of discipline that's really good that maybe you can't see right away. Bible says that the, the sufferings of this earth, the, the afflictions of this earth are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that is coming. Light and momentary. For the moment, all disciplines seem painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields, here's the key, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There, there's a, a pastor I've come that just really love, Dr. Sam Storms, and, and I want you to hear this because it's not that we delight in the discipline. That would be bizarre. No one delights in that, okay? What we're delighting in is what it's producing, yeah. that it's profitable. It would be bizarre to, to, to delight in a, an experience that is unpleasant, but what we're delighting in is what it's producing. And Dr. Sam Storm says this, in speaking of God producing righteousness in us, the measure of true love is the pursuit of righteousness in the one loved. I'll read that again. The measure of true love is the pursuit of righteousness in the one who's loved. In other words, if you want to know how much someone loves you, look at how much they're desiring to see righteousness come forth in your life. No one wants you to walk in righteousness more than Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews 1.9. It says, The Father anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness. Right beyond his companions, how many? That's, that means Jesus was glad. That's why children didn't come up to the Pharisees, because they were miserable. Children ran to Jesus because he was glad. He was happy. Right? How many want? The, how many want the oil of gladness upon your life? Right? Okay. Well, this is how this, this is how that verse starts. It says Jesus hated wickedness and loved righteousness. Therefore, he was anointed with the oil of gladness. See, Jesus is working righteousness in us, which is the very source of your gladness. He's bringing us to a place where we're actually being led into the very things that make our heart come alive. The very things that we're actually made for, say, God, this is what I was made for. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So that means, under grace, this is important, under grace, if we're not careful, we we can... We can project something that's not true. Well, if you're under grace, you'll never experience a painful experience in your heart. That is not true. There are times when you can really experience painful things under the grace of God. But what we know is what it's doing. Just read Psalm 38. David was under the grace of God. He experienced real pain, but it was producing something that was amazing in his life. And then the last part of this that's so important is that it's later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Meaning all that I've shared, right? The instructive discipline of the Lord, it's like you're being trained. Either one, we're being trained. And what this says is that if righteousness is gonna be produced in our life through discipline, we have to be trained by the discipline. Meaning it is possible for the Lord to discipline us and we're not trained by it. It's possible for us to not fully submit to what God is doing in our life. It's possible for us to have resentment towards it. It's possible for us to put up walls. It's possible for us to really not enter in. It's possible for us, for me, I know, to develop a victim mentality and make God a victimizer. And then I bring in friends as rescuers and you create this ecosystem because we won't repent. It's victim, victimizer, and we look for rescuers. And rather than saying, God, you are just, you are good. Lord, I will not deflect. I will let you lead wherever you wanna do, God. We will be trained by it. Verse 7, verse 7 says that we need to endure the discipline of the Lord. That does not mean hunker down and just make it through. (laughs) It means really opening our heart to it and letting the fullness be done in our lives. When Jonah was put into the belly of the fish, if Jonah just got spit up on dry ground and never responded to the Lord, the discipline of God would have done nothing in his life. It's not that the belly of the fish is what changed Jonah. That just got his attention. It was when he cried out to the Lord. It's when he submitted his heart to the Lord, that's where he was changed. So we don't want to just pass through something and say, all right, I endured through that. That was kind of tough, but kind of in the past. No, Lord, I want to fully embrace what you're doing in my life. I'm encouraged. (laughs) Vicky's Vicky's encouraged. (laughs) <laughs> so, in all honesty, if, if the Lord, if you feel his corrective hand again, I would really say encourage you, rejoice. And if you're going through something and it's like, man, we're all growing. I'm not talking about immaturity, right? All of us are growing, but, but, but if we're, um, we know that there's immaturity, but we're really faithfully following God, but why are these things happening? Why is there so much temptation? I want this temptation to be removed. God, what are you doing? Rejoice. God is disciplining you through that. Mark, do you have instrumental or something? I feel like we need to take communion. I really do. I feel like we need to take communion together. Um, You're going to pass it out? Yeah, thank you. Someone pass it around. Um, We practice open communion here, which means you don't need to go through any class. We just ask that if Jesus must be Lord and Savior, and if that's the case, then... Go ahead and take one and hold on to it. We're going to partake together. So just hold on to everything. We're going to partake together. I really invite you to settle your heart before the Lord. Whatever you need to do, if it means eyes closed, whatever it looks like. But I just think there's a source of encouragement we're going to receive right now. We're going to consider him who endured such hostility. As we were closing, I just felt the Lord just remind me and bring us back into that. You know, if the Lord... If the Lord loves us through discipline, if he loves us regardless, why should we respond to his discipline? Because he loves me regardless. I think that's a valid question. Well, first off, uh, the obvious answer would be because we love him and we want to respond to what he's doing. But if there would need to be an added incentive, a reason why we want to thoroughly address what the Lord is addressing is because if we don't, it doesn't mean God loves us less, but we really do suffer loss. What do I mean? I mean that there were things that God wanted to do in and through us in that season that he did not do because of where we settled. When we hunker down in that camp of, of resistance for months, year, two years, God never stops loving us, but there were things that he really wanted us to experience. There were things that he really wanted to do through us at that time, and that's, that's the loss. That's the loss. But he's faithful to redeem when we turn our hearts back. Everyone have it? So, as we're sharing this, what the Lord is just showing me, and I just opened up to the other text, but Hebrews 12, in that verse 3, consider him, right? So we're looking upon Jesus. And then in verse 5 and 6, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary. So do not be crushed by the Lord's discipline. It says, For he chastises every son whom he delights in, who who he receives. And I just remembered Isaiah 53 on the Lord's suffering. The writer of Hebrews just said, Do not be crushed when the Lord disciplines you, but rejoice because he chastises those that he delights in. And regarding the suffering servant, Jesus, this is what it says in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. So why do we not have to be crushed when the Lord disciplines us, when he corrects us? It's because Jesus took on something that we will never have to take on. (laughs) And because of his discipline, because what the Lord received, the only perfect one, and he received what we had deserved, we now can be treated as sons and daughters before the Lord. And then it says, upon him was the chastisement that, was, that brought us peace. The banner over Jesus was, this is my son who I love and well-pleased in. And he was chastised <laughs> for us, which means we never have to be crushed by what we're going through because there's, we never shed our blood for what we're going through. So I really want to just look upon Jesus and his wounds here. And if you could, just take the bread out, the cracker. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, we thank you for your word, Lord. Oh, how it speaks right to our hearts. Thank you that you are a good father. Thank you for your commitment towards us. Thank you that you embodied love. Thank you, Lord, that the banner over us is love. You lead us in love, and I thank you that the fullness of that love you express towards us. Jesus, I just pray right now that as we consider you who endured such hostility, I pray for encouragement to hit the hearts of your people. Lord, for those who cannot understand why temptation or trial can seem so intense right now, Lord, may they rejoice that you are forming them more and more into your image. And Lord, for those who feel your hand pulling them out of compromise, I pray that they would rejoice. Knowing Jesus, you took the fullness of our wages. Thank you now that our correction always is unto redemption, Lord. So we thank you for your body that was crushed, that we do not need to be crushed. In Jesus' name, let's partake. Thank you, Lord. If you want to open up the juice, please. Thank you, Lord. In Hosea, they said, Come, let us return, for he has torn us and he struck us down that we'd be healed and binded up but Lord never have we ever experienced the way the Father had pierced you on the cross Lord truly you were torn for our sins truly you were struck down thank you that the door is open for us to return thank you that you do not exasperate us thank you that you do not provoke us Thank you that all that you do is for our good. Thank you that even right now you're confirming that we are your sons and daughters and we rejoice. We rejoice in your sacrifice. Thank you for your blood, Lord. Thank you that we are forever washed and cleansed by it. Thank you that it is alive, it is warm, it is still applying the work when we first called out to you, Lord. And we receive it freshly. And I pray when we do it, Lord, I pray for the spirit of encouragement to well up in hearts again. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, We do have a prayer team. The prayer team will come on up. And if anyone would like to stay, and if there's some... Things you want specifically prayed for, we'll lay hands and pray. But if not, have an amazing Sunday. Some of you I'll see at Mark's wedding. The rest of you, by the way, he says, I'm, I'm sorry. His, his one regret is he didn't have enough space for everyone to be there. So if you're not there, pray with us, rejoice with us. And we'll see you this week. Guys, prayer room, please come out. This past Friday, we touched, we really touched heaven, or heaven touched us. <laughs> And <laughs> what, uh, you know, what happens here is, is just the byproduct of what's happening throughout the week. So come and, and join us in, in the prayer room. And um, Bible study is going to be starting up in October again, Wednesday nights. So we're going to press into the Word. We're going to do the book of Colossians, one of my favorite books, and really have the gospel broken open. So a lot of good things, all right? So love you guys. Make sure you get your flannel ready and pumpkin spice, all right? Bless you.